0: Hey there! Welcome to ATL in twenty nine, a Peach Troops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. Uh, Glenn, lots of stuff has uh, happened since the last time we recorded. How about how about that Magic game?
1: That was something. You and want to break they, that down?
0: They did a good job manipulating the uh, the Magic defense.
1: They did, and uh, you know the defensive plan against Jokic I thought was really good especially considering that they had to keep people out. You know, we can talk about that if you want to. Uh,
0: uh, Speaking of the defensive game plan and not wanting to, uh, that may may have been a little bit of the issue from Shootaround with wanting to discuss the defensive game plan or not on Jokic.
1: He's unique, and that's one of the more important shootarounds, walkthroughs, whatever it is that 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 you'd think that would be one of the more important ones to
0: get everybody uh engaged in I think yeah actually something that I had not connected the dots on uh until just now jarring the brain is that I think we mentioned before that at one point this season when comparing this season to last uh Jalen Johnson was like yeah we're we're taking shoot around a little bit more seriously this season than we did last season. Hmm. Uh, nope. and you know Nate's Nate's trying to do that, and that, that that caused some issue this weekend,
1: yeah, I mean, uh I mean, so if we can kind of tie a few things together, so against Denver, they were helping they were doubling from the baseline, and there's a very specific way to organize the weak side once the double takes place, and that's not something the Hawks often do. You may recall them doing that against the Knicks, religiously, two years ago in that playoff series. They would c- bring in the second defender across the paint, park him on the same side of the floor as Randall was, usually in the mid or low post and kind of that vicinity, and s- force Randall to be a playmaker. Um, with Jokic, is, uh one of the best passers in the league, regardless of position. So you have to have everything else organized to do that. And so... I you know I don't want to presume too much about what did and didn't happen. and The whole Trey and Nate thing, which we're kind of uh, um, approaching, I think in our conversation. <laughs> but there was a lot of specificity to what they did on defense that right. Friday night game versus Denver. That doesn't mean that I think that how Nate handled it, per what we know, what we've heard. I don't even want to say no. I don't. I, in this situation, I want to be careful to like yeah i think our our words are important what do I know what do I think what do I believe sure uh what do I, you know and, and to be precise in that way but if
0: I believe the nug- general, the defensive game plan against the nuggets was a a key issue for friday morning
1: for sure and 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 it was of i think elevated importance because of uh, what Jokic forces you to do because of his ability to score and pass and create, you know, from all many different spots on the floor. And the team that played executed re- really well, really, really, really well. Um, that's that's prim- the primary reason, in my view, they got the win. So I can understand a coaching staff, a head coach, wanting to emphasize how important it is for everyone that's going to play that night or might play that night to be present and engaged For that session so i'll i'll kind of start there i I don't want anyone listening to think i'm going to be one-sided in this i'm not but i as a coach i would understand and now obviously i've never coached the nba level never coached someone like trey but just generally speaking there are situations where you really want everybody to pay attention because the the planning the the scheme the implementation uh based upon the opponent or Requires um, a lot more depth of implementation and such, and it it, it does seem like that was the case on Friday, because they did a lot of things, a lot of things on Friday night defensively that they don't normally do.
0: Fair enough. Uh, if if the the Shams report is true, I mean, how what what could Nate have? done differently you think to to approach that situation if it went down the, the way it was described in that report is there another way to do it besides an ultimatum and ul- ultimatum i mean that, that seems like uh, you know he i guess reportedly he offered the trade could come off the bench which you figure you know that's the you know if you can't help us with the game plan then maybe uh you can play in the non Jokic minutes or something like that. At least, you know, for the beginning of the game, something like that. I don't know. You know, again,
1: yeah, and, and maybe... an, I
0: believe, but uh, I mean, right? Essentially, though, that, that that becomes an ultimatum. Either you know, I, the two choices that were offered were sort of either you know come off the bench or or just you know stay home for the evening, which appears to be what happened. They had Trent Forrest and John Collins and DeAndre Hunter out of uniform but on the bench and was uh, reportedly not in the building.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so uh, so this part of the conversation is assuming the reporting is accurate. Sure. Um, and and uh, to be clear, w- one stakeholder or, or a set of stakeholders who had a common goal here wanted a specific narrative to get out. That's usually what happens um, is that someone wanted a certain narrative out because the narrative may... In my in my view makes Nate look pretty bad. So I don't think it was Nate or the team. Okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, I, and then I, um it seems plausible. Yeah. And then also, uh like Clutch doesn't do business with Woj, right? Um <laughs> and te- teams do tend to do business with Woj, right? right. Uh that's the kind of kind of the way it kinda of goes. So I think that, that probably matters in how we connect the dots a little bit. I wouldn't state that as like something I know happened. Like I don't know who put this out, but it does seem to paint Trey in a little better light or a more sympathetic light Um, and not the best light. So for me, <laughs> if I'm dealing with a, a player that feels like he needs to focus on rehab and get his body ready for that night, I don't know in, in the vacuum. I don't know why you can't give him a a special session with an assistant coach to talk through, like maybe while he's even getting treatment. Right. This is what we're going to do. I mean, teams use video these days, right? Um, and there's a lot of there's there's more ways to accomplish that other than Trey showing up for the walkthrough. Now, would it have been as effective? You know, probably not. There's limitations to that. You want everyone to hear the same thing. You want everyone to hear questions that are asked by the players and coaches. You want all that clarified together. So I understand Nate feeling strongly about having Trey there now. Had things not broken down and Trey not um, skipped the game, you know, my sense is that probably what the way that plays out is that he he comes off the bench in the first half, observes the way the team is defending, right? Gets a feel for it. And then by no later than the time the second half starts, he's in his normal rotation and all that but, right But why Nate can't say, hey, you know, if you can't come to shoot around or walk through or whatever, um, we'll bring you off the bench just so you can get a look at what we're doing defensively. And then we'll, in the second half, we'll get you into your normal rotation. But in my mind, there had to be some middle ground there. We'll bring an assistant coach to you to talk you through what the plan is and or we'll let you watch the first quarter or the first, you know, until Jokic goes to the bench like he does normally with about two minutes to go in the first first and third quarter. And then we'll get you in. And once you've had a chance to see that, we'll roll you through, you know, the, the normal rotation the rest of the way. So it just feels like there should have been a middle ground that could have been achieved there. Now, what we don't know is if Trey and Nate have been butting heads for a while, you know, Nate may have felt like he needed to maybe even to demonstrate to the rest of his team that uh, he is the authority figure and that he's going, he wants Trey to be coachable or accountable or whatever that is. And so it's, you know, in, in a vacuum, I think there are other solutions than what Nate Nate proposed, but th- that that may be lacking the context of weeks and weeks or months of months of conflict that have may have made Nate feel like he needed to, take a more um, hierarchical leadership posture um, than one normally does with a franchise player.
0: That just makes too much sense. Can't we be more salacious?
1: <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> but, I mean, there's salaciousness is out there on Twitter. I mean, it, every wow, okay. theory is already out there. We can't oh, create a theory that's not already out on Reddit or Twitter or wherever else it might be. Instagram.
0: Well, Okay. Now, how about this? And not, not not attempt to be salacious, but uh, you know, Trey's been around for a number of seasons now, and it feels like in previous seasons, if there was conflict, there wasn't necessarily uh, high level peers on the roster save for maybe John Collins. Is, is it different now with some other people around? Is it different with DeJounte around uh in terms of, uh, you know, the respect of his peers on the team uh and, and what might happen in his absence?
1: I think that is definitely part of the dynamic of bringing DeJounte in. You know, DeJounte has made an all-star team. Um, the comes from an organization where the culture has been established for you know 30 years, if not more. Right. Expectations are pretty clear on you know, you're gonna check your ego at the door. Pop says all the time that the first requirement to being part of the Spurs organization is to get over yourself. You know, you'll you'll see that reference a ton. Um, and, and so it wouldn't surprise me, even though um like DeJounte doesn't have a perfect track record, like, like in the Houston game, he was quite immature in that game. Um, But I I thought he took a mature approach. Like when Lauren interviewed him right after the game and said some things that um, were not directed at anyone by name, but seemed to be sending what he felt was an important message, you know? And I don't, until this season and until DeJounte was on the team i can't think of anyone who would have felt like they were empowered enough to say something like that even though no names were mentioned i thought he was fairly diplomatic about it while right. also not while also not watering the message down you know sure. so you know in, in my mind it's this is a new this is a new challenge for Trey you know it's not it's not I, and I don't want this to sound as negative and critical as it may, but it's not just the, the Trey show now. They, they've tried to upgrade the roster, put more upper-level, um, you know, kind of players and talent uh, kind of around Trey. A lot of us want to map that back to the Miami series last year, but the the problem was bigger than the Miami series, even if that brought it into the clearest focus that you know, that ever that, that it's ever been brought into. You know, but I, I do think, like, high-level players, you know, in a constructive situation, they hold each other accountable, you know, and they challenge each other to be better. um, And they challenge each other to think a little differently about how they're approaching things. I don't think that's a bad thing.
0: No, you know, definitely I, I, a scenario where this ends up being a very positive outcome. Like, just shake it yeah. out and get it over with and – I, I, you know, this isn't necessarily a doomsday thing, and I think a big reason for that is the high-level talent that's on the roster, where peers keep peers in check.
1: Yeah, and and on top of that, I think, I think there has to be some likelihood that if Trey doesn't get up to the rough start, you know, that this doesn't become as big of an issue in Trey's mind. You know, right. I, I think you know, I, you know, I've shared that like the first five to eight games or so. Trey and DeJounte were giving each other a tough base, you know, and not forcing the other to fit into their style of play or the style of play that they feel best suits them individually. And I thought that was a great indication that they were going to not, um, you know, force one into the other style or what have you. I think a result of that was Trey was playing off the ball. Trey was if not playing off the ball. He was starting possessions off the ball more than he ever has. And as best as I could tell, he was struggled to kind of, get and maintain a rhythm, you know, and then I think it was probably the Toronto game where we kind of went back on ball and and things started clicking again. He started finding a rhythm again. And there's no doubt in my mind that someone at at his level is like, okay, this is what I need to do, you know, for me to be able to, to produce at the level the team needs me to produce, to contribute at the level the team needs me to contribute. This is the formula that I need. And, The issue there might be, well, that's good for you, but, you know, we're 22nd or 23rd in offense right now, you know, Um, so we've got to kind of think about how to find a formula that facilitates you getting and finding your rhythm, but facilitates uh, other guys being able to contribute uh, from the roles that best, you know, fit what, what their skills are. You know, and so I, you know, we're quarterway through the season and it, it just it wouldn't surprise me that this is the offense is still kind of work in progress and, and maybe Trey's initial struggles, um, the offense not uh improving. It's they've kind of been in that, you know uh you know seventeen to twenty-three range in offensive rating for most of the season now. Nate, I'm sure feels like there has to be some urgency to get the offense to perform better. And, you know, so the, I know on social media, we like to kind of always boil this down to being one thing. And, and I just think this is more, much more like it be five, six, or seven things. Right. Um, that all kind of came to a head at a specific day right, when they had a playing a specific opponent and things like that. But I mean, DeJounte, I think, made his feelings known. And, you know, Nate has to be careful about what he says because you have to, Treat your uh franchise player as a you know as an important stakeholder in how things are going as as any other stakeholder that that, that really exists you know in in the organization and the franchise so you know for me, I just think that uh I do think that one thing that's really stirred things up you know not in this not in a way that it's controversial in an unnecessary way. But I think Dejounte is like Dejounte is probably willing to say things to Trey that no other teammates Trey's had in his time in Atlanta has felt empowered. I wouldn't like I wouldn't say like it wouldn't say it or afraid to say, I, I don't think anyone's had the stature to right. feel like they are empowered to maybe try to hold Trey accountable in, in a in the way that good teammates do, and I, I do think that's a pretty big difference for this year.
0: And the Hawks are lucky, you know. And a, a, a sort of another reason that you could see something like this not turning out badly, and is that you know they they have a couple of players on the roster in Bogdanovich and Capella who have you know both the respect of the coaching staff and Trey, like they they get along with both. So there's a there's a bridge there, and you know there's a path back to. uh to smoother times, especially now that Bogey is playing again and and you know healthy enough to participate, like I I think that gives them more of a critical mass of uh, hey you know let's let's get this figured out. Uh, the Hawks are lucky. God, you Clinkapella know, is just such a good teammate. Like
1: absolutely,
0: <laughs> it's incredible. Like you look at the thirty rosters and you're like, who who has a seven footer? Who but his incredible defense is beloved by his teammates, runs his ass up and down the floor as hard as this can be. Even though he's gonna take like six shots a game, you know, sets all the screens. Uh, you know, every now and then. Like there was one game where he's like, Yeah, nobody passes me the ball unless I'm right under the hoop. But like, <laughs> man, he just they're so lucky. Like he's he's so rare and like just you know, have, having a guy like that. Like, he's he's not, uh, you know, it, it's obviously a very different situation than what, what you would have with somebody like DeJounte, but, you know, it, having p- players like that in the mix, in the picture, uh, that can be really helpful. And it's funny, yeah. you know, Bogdanovich and Herder, it's like, you know, I don't, you don't know, like, what all the possible trade scenarios and this and that world, but in some respect, you know, you wonder, like, you know, why, why is Bogdanovich here, and, and and why is Herter gone, and, you know, that could be one element in the equation, is that, uh, you know, Bogdanovich fits better in a situation like this where Herter would be like, what the hell is this?
1: I, I think those are all great points. I would add to that that Capella also played with James Harden, um, you know, and Harden had very specific expectations. Obviously Harden, it's sort of like Trey, like produces offense at a like historically great level. Um, um and I'm not comparing you know, personalities or you know or whatever, you know, um but just that um Capella has played with an a historically great offensive player um that where there might be some parallels there. And I think that that helps Capella in this situation. Curious what you think, but I, I also think that, um, you know Kyle Korver being in the organization could be a value in a in a scenario like this. You know, a lot of guys respect Kyle, and he he spends. Seems like he kind of has one foot in the front office and one foot kind of in, we'll say, player development or on the practice floor, practice court or, or whatever. But you know that that's something that's different than it was um, previously too, and and, and that's a, I know that if I were Travis or Tony or Nate or whoever, that that might be a guy I tap and and see if he could kind of kind of help with the communication around this too.
0: Yeah, I, I I could see Kyle being more of a more of a guy that could help in like like a rehab like a bogey situation where it's like this rehab that's long and arduous and he's annoyed and he wants to get back sooner and it's like you know, just kind of the power of positive thinking sort of thing and you know helping hype you up to the point where you know you believe it can happen something more like that I'm not sure that you know I don't know that I I mean I'm sure he was on some some dramatic rosters and some dramatic times before but you know how much he helped or can you know help navigate that now I, I wouldn't have much uh much firsthand basis on which to speak with that like in in a lot of ways you know when Corver was here in Atlanta the, that team was sort of the antithesis of uh of your typical situation where it was just like Yep. Here we are. We showed up for work. Let's uh, let's go do what we're supposed to be doing. And it's, it was very different.
1: Yeah, I just, I he he just seems like a, a very thoughtful um, person, and uh, and someone who is close enough but not too close to be able to kind of have some messaging that's um, received. You know, I think I think at this point, sometimes if something comes from Nate, that's that's tough. You know, if something comes from Trey, it's tough. You know, teammates can be really helpful in a situation yeah. like this, you know, um and and such, but um, you know, it's it's hard Do to know. And Sicaro
0: on retire at age forty seven.
1: I, I I know. it's you know, I mean, you know, like Vince helped Trey with his shooting a lot when Trey was a rookie, you know, and um and and from there, you know, and, and stuff, but um you know, I I don't know. I mean, Trey understandably, understandably got a lot of leeway his first years. He's young, you know, and he's still pretty young, you know, and, and all of that. But I, to your point, I think this could, I, I think the, peop- the, the, the people involved, the, pr- the the people that are primarily involved will decide, does this go in a positive direction or do we get stuck in this place of um, contention and fragmentation and distraction? You know, and so you know they'll decide. Trey, Trey will decide how he's going to respond. Nate will decide how he's going to respond. Others will decide how they're going to respond, and and hopefully they uh, can kind of kind of sort this out. I'm a little concerned that it sounds like I'm giving Nate a pass here. I mean, I mentioned that I thought there were there were other solutions there, um, but I I mean the, the, I think the strongest critique or the or the the thing to point at was if it was true that Nate said, play off the bench or don't come, I I, I mean, you just can't treat your franchise player like that these days. There's got to be some other um, communication attempt that's more collaborative, more, more um, you know, generates dialogue as opposed to kind of just drawing a line in the sand. Now, now who knows, like, how many times Nate tried to get traded, you know, so, but I just I just want to make sure that it's clear I'm saying and that's that. Fair. And just to say what happened. Oh, sorry. I you
0: No, know, if the that... reporting
1: is true, that I think I think Nate, I think to a degree, Nate, Nate mishandled this. You know, um, so I, I I don't want to point. I don't want to be like some of the people on Twitter that are ta- like firmly taking one side or the other. You know. Yeah. And I don't. Human beings. It's with human beings. It's almost never like that anyway. You know, but, uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't know what Trey, I don't know what Trey was like. Well, coach said I can't come, so I'm not going to come,
0: you know. Right. And so to, to, to be clear, you know, Nate was asked about Trey's absence today and Nate didn't say a whole lot about it. He just said that it was, you know, Trey's absence was a miscommunication. And, you know, when asked to clarify what the miscommunication was, he would just say it's, it was a miscommunication. Right. <laughs> The, the miscommunication is, was a miscommunication. So we got in, we got into some deep tautologies there. But, uh, you know, the other but doesn't
1: thing doesn't that seem like doesn't that seem like Nate kind of uh, as one does at his level, kind of taking some ownership?
0: I he would not say enough that we would know any, one way or the other. I have no <laughs> idea. It was just yeah. like, it, Nate, it was it was a miscommunication, Glenn. Gotcha. You know, that's all I've cleared up. You know, yeah, there there was very little offered there, just that pretty much just that one word. Um yeah. but it's interesting because it's like if you go to root causes and you were talking a moment ago that you know one root cause here is potentially that Trey's just frustrated. He hasn't really played as well as he wants this mm-hmm. season, and it's like you know, that's one aspect where maybe it's a little harder to see the sunny solution because I think what you have in, in Nate's offensive style and what he's looking for isn't necessarily uh, the thing that would make Trey the most pleased or that's it's not even a fair way to say it. it's just like the overall, I don't know, the conservativeness, I guess, of the offense and what they want to do and just kind of control the game and, and just, play in a style that doesn't have a ton of passes and doesn't have a ton of turnovers and you just kind of keep pace on offense and win the game in other areas, Uh, you know, and then you just look at the personnel that's out there and it's like, you know, if he's out there playing with a defensive-oriented starting lineup, like it's just... It's, it's different than what they had last season. And so you could see why it's going to be frustrating and that might not change them, but there's some hope with, with AJ Griffin and Bogdan Bogdanovich. And maybe if we're moving on here, you know, we, we talked about the defensive game plan against Denver. You know, when you look at what they did offensively against Denver without a whole lot of offensive hubs, how, how did they make that game work offensively?
1: Yeah. I mean, so they, I mean, first talk kind of qualitatively like the energy just seemed better the ball moved better i don't think it was like like um a, like a complete 180 you know or anything like that from the ball movement standpoint but you know just just kind of one example early in the game when the first few possessions um you know they they ran their normal setup where they have two in the corner two, you know uh, uh one in each three-point break and up jante clint running a slot pick and roll for the right three-point break. And Jokic went all the way up to the level of the screen. And DeJounte rotated the ball to Jared Colbert. And Colber, which was did something that doesn't happen much at all this year. He just attacked the space that was created because Jokic went all the way to the level of the screen. And uh, I can't remember if he's I think he scored on that on that play, but like there were three or four times the ball rotated to the weak side early in the shot clock. And the person who caught it just attacked the space. Aaron Holiday did that one time. Car- uh, Culver did it three or four times. Um, AJ did it a couple times. Um, and you know, when it's trade, Jante lineups, it seems like the default is I'm going to catch the ball, see what the defense, see how the defense responds or reacts to the ball swinging to my side, and they're in a perpetual state of letting the defense reset. As opposed to attack a defense that's tilted to the strong side still and, and needing to recover, and so I, for me that's it wasn't like there was just amazing passing that's going to be on the NBA like top ten. It was a simple pass to the the highest player on the weak side perimeter, and just that guy just attacking the space that was available because of how Denver was um, you know managing managing there. Now in the third quarter, it got a little harder because Denver moved Aaron Gordon onto Dejounte, and Dejounte was struggling there. But they had built up so enough synergy, I think, Aaron moving Gordon the ball, the ball. and such. You know, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I missed that.
0: I was I was just trying to whisper and give some subtext. I said Aaron Gordon was hand checking.
1: Oh, there, yeah. Well, I mean, and but I mean, he's a veteran; he knows how much hand checking they allow. That's I think true. you know. You know but but, and he but he's just a really physical defender, yes, but in my in my mind, it's like most times the hawks would encounter a challenge like that when they were on offense, it would get into okay, let's let's iso, let's spread it, spread everybody out, let's iso, uh, and let's kind of go from there, and that just didn't happen against Denver um and and that's not this is not me I, I would never say the hawks are better without trey. Um, the best Hawks team has Trey clicking, DeJounte clicking, DeAndre helping, JC helping, Clint being a defensive foundation, AJ being reliable off the bench and on and on and on, you know. Um, But, and I'm not even, I don't even want to criticize Trey for having the instinct to want to put the offense on his back when things are bogged down. But my guess is if there's a message being shared with Trey right now It's we've got to pick up our ball movement. We've got to pick up and get into things like even they like they ran more delay action, which is the center at the top of the key and two guys on each side of the formation with pin downs and kind of getting into pin downs and the pistol. And they were just running a lot of stuff. They haven't run in a while. And that, that probably has nothing to do with the fact that Trey wasn't playing. It's just, it, it looked like a team that was intent on moving more, getting more movement. Uh, And and if Trey feels like that's the stuff that got me personally bogged down at the beginning of the year, I understand his concern. I understand how he could be concerned and just want to know, okay, where do I fit into this and where do I get the the stuff that I need for me to develop and maintain the rhythm? That's the stuff for the coaching staff and the players to collaborate on together. But if, if that's where the conflict is coming from, I think that's a natural source of conflict, and I don't think it's an unusual source of conflict it comes down to how the people handle the conflict and that going forward could be constructive or it could be problematic
0: there's a lot to process there first of all i asked nate about that today you know you talked about the early shot clock passes to the weak side and just the instant attack and a lot of it was culver and and it's like, yes, we want to do that. That's, you know, he's like, I like to call that playing on the catch. You know, we, we want to play on the catch. And, uh, you know, he said that they're going to see a lot of that from Oklahoma City Monday evening. For sure. Um, so, uh, you know, and you just mentioned just now with Trey, you know, being a little bit frustrated from his off ball experiences. And, you know, that's a reasonable. Thing and that again, I think that's a little bit where you look at what what's there on the roster with him. And if he he had somebody uh, in DeAndre Hunter who is a little bit better at playing on the catch, uh, then that would go better. You make that quick cash uh, that catch, uh, and you're going to decide, okay, you know, pass, shoot, dribble, like what's going to happen, and you make that decision quickly. Uh, they need a little bit more of that from DeAndre. They need, they need Hunter to be less deliberate and uh, more instantaneous, more instinctive. And they didn't need it as much with the roster that they had last season, but now they they need that more from him. And you, know, you can see why with you know with the players that are out there that it's it can be hard for Trey. And so they're they're going to have to navigate all this and and get a better feel for what's out there. Uh, so that that Trey can get comfortable on offense, because if he doesn't, then you know it's understandably going to be tricky for them.
1: Yeah, if they are, if they're even like a say ten to twelve in defensive rating, and stay like nineteen to twenty-two in offensive rating, they're 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 probably going to be in the plan, right, with that performance, unless they just get lucky at the end of games and win a bunch yeah, of close I games. I mean, it's not
0: even lucky though. Part of it's just if you're. I don't know, like if they're around tenth or eleventh in defense, and you've got, you know, somebody in Clint who's as good as he is on defense, like, you know, that that's they can put some very nice defensive lineups out there at the end of games, and you you I don't know, to me it just feels like you're a little bit more in control with what happens in late game situations if you're if yeah you're I agree with better that better on defense than offense. It's just yeah. I yeah, I,
1: I just think I just think like the goal right now should be like okay, like, hey, let's get the league average on offense. Oh. Let's figure out a solution towards that, right? Let's solution yeah. towards that. And then on the on the flip side, I you know, I would say like if if, you, if we're gonna kind of critique DeAndre's offense, first of all, if the if the ball rotated to him more consistently Maybe That's he right. starts to kind of you know get that instinct to attack to attack on the catch, like Nate says. Oh, I've got but, the
0: ball. Hold on, let me let me feel this sucker for a couple of seconds.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let me scratch my left elbow. Let me you know. Um, yeah. But but I mean at the same time, their defense has been what has bought them time to figure out the offense, and JC yeah. and Hunter have been so good. Yep. On defense, so in my mind, I know you weren't doing this, but I think Hawks fans I see it quite a lot. I'd like, want to be like, "Oh my God, Hunter and JC, blah blah." blah, Is like, okay, they're they're fifth in the East right now. Or at least they were before place started today. On their defense, and Hunter and JC have been absolutely huge on the defensive right.
0: defense, and defense. not not the same as last season. Like they've they've made both made like big positive strides defensively and gotten better.
1: Yeah, and then if you're playing from behind, you can take Hunter off and put AJ on if that's if that's the thing you want to do, right? Yeah. So they you can put you can close with Bogey, you can close with AJ if you're playing from behind. So they have some nice like you know rotational uh, setups to give them a chance to close out a game they're they're winning, to close out a game that's tight all the way to try to come back from behind, and and they have a nice mix here. We just got to get everybody on the same plan, buying in. And for Trey, I don't want to just say, like, oh, Trey's not buying in. I, I, I want to say I believe, and the, the wording is important here, I believe he's concerned about how he gets to maintain his rhythm with the changes that um, are being kind of encouraged. And I think that's normal. I think it's fine. It's a matter of how you handle it, in my view. Yeah.
0: Very, very good. And, you know, as of last night, I don't know what happened in the games tonight. But, uh, you know, as of last night, they were like fifth in the east, which is a exactly. good spot to be in to sort of figure out your problems. All defense is a good place.
1: Yeah, defense is a good place. Get that offense clicking, help each other, buy in, trust each other, and then trade trading to – maybe there's an opportunity for Trey to trust guys around him and, and kind of go from there. Maybe there's a chance for the guys around to say, Trey, we got your back. If it's not going well for a while. We got your back. So that's what I'd like to see.
0: I appreciate you doing this, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do it again soon and look at, you know, whatever happened against OKC and and some of these games in in New York this week. Should be a fun week. Have a good night.
1: Thanks for having me, too.